listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the TNA podcast brought to you by the Nutmeg Assist. Myself Prithvik and I'm joined as usual with my co-host Chris. Welcome Chris. Hello. Yeah. Hope yep. hopefully hopefully you enjoy this week's European action. I mean uh, the time we are recording uh, we, there will be some amazing Europa League action right now but the Champions League has been quite a thriller this week. Yeah, it's been a very good group stage if I'm honest. I've really enjoyed it this year. I don't know if I can remember a group stage quite like it, especially given uh, the the outcome with Real Madrid into Milan or that scenario going into the last game. The scenario with Leipzig, PSG, Manchester United. Um, it's very rare that you get those those teams in that sort of scenario at that stage of the group. So it was a uh, quite quite entertaining exactly exactly and we'll mainly be looking at the patron questions because that does probably the core of today's episode or today's discussion but first things first we'll move on to the united leipzig game manchester united yeah. after, after their first two games in the champions league had six points they scored five against leipzig they won 2-1 against paris saint germain in paris and what yeah. was good life was good for all in a soul chart life was good for manchester united fans and all of a sudden they find themselves in the europa league from there <laughs> yeah it's it's quite it's quite a weird scenario because i think before before a ball was kicked I don't think finishing third in this group was that bad for manchester united i mean it could have happened to any of those three teams if Leipzig finished third or even PSG finished third, and looking at the group itself, you could have said, "Oh, oh, all right, then." Well, it's not, it's not totally impossible for any of those teams to finish third in that group. But I think the Manchester United problem was, like you just said, then the expectation was raised because of the way they started the group against those two teams. Uh, the 5-0 against Leipzig, I don't think anyone would have predicted that. Although you could say Leipzig's style of play was sort of tailor-made for Manchester United that night. Um, and yeah, they seem, to, they seem to have that little bit of a hold against PSG. But well, the away team always wins that fixture, doesn't it? I've noticed. Every, every time they play, the away team wins. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. They just, they raised, they raised the expect, they, they raised the bar after those two games and ultimately yeah. paid as a result of it. I'm mean, talking specifically about this game against Leipzig. Leipzig were 2-0 up in no time. Next to no time, they they found themselves with acres of space down the wings and both the goals came down, came came due to a switch of play. First goal especially and then, yeah. you know, a switch of, I, I mean, I guess it was Marcel Sabitzer who picked up a nice little ball over the top to Angelino who then fired it in pretty Amazingly, and yeah. Aaron Van Bissaka. I mean, United played with five at the back. Aaron Van Bissaka should definitely, should definitely be covering that. Yeah, well, I mean, I had to double check. I watched this game with multiple other games, uh, so so I, I have three games on at the same time. But I had to double check where he was playing when I kept kept looking at his position in the first half, especially within the first sort of fifteen to twenty minutes. I wasn't sure where he was playing. His position was awful. He had a he had a terrible game, I thought. But then I thought Leipzig strikeless formation and the way they set the midfield up that that's what they that's why it happened. So I wouldn't want to focus too much on how bad Manchester United are at defending because we could say that every week. <laughs> but uh, I thought Leipzig's uh, movements 
within the half spaces uh, specifically and the way the 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 full backs overlapped to pull the defence out and create space between them was quite quite fantastic to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And even the second goal came from a nice little cross which Haidara finished so well. The third goal yeah. was shambolic. The third goal was absolutely shambolic. Like you said, talking about defence, it's uh, you, you you could do that every week. But Harry Maguire, I mean, for all the criticism <laughs> he gets, I mean, he's been quite solid since the Newcastle game. Pretty solid, I would say. Not just quite solid. He's been pretty solid since the Newcastle game after some early season shenanigans. Uh, especially after what when what he went through in the summer, but yeah. in this particular game again he was caught. He was caught in no man's land. He should have cleared that ball. He didn't. And the second part of the of that shambolic piece of you know defending came from David De Gea, who should have spread himself to the ball. That's how that's how a goalkeeper should be doing. He was yeah. quite scared to go and attack the ball. Probably scared. Uh, thinking that he might get hurt, but that's the life of a goalkeeper. You have to kind of spread yourself, make yourself look big. And if he makes himself look big, that goal doesn't stand. I'm 100% yeah. sure he deflects that. So, again, that's a mix of error there. But United came back late in the game. Bruno Fernandes with a nice penalty, which was quite controversial because uh, in the build-up, uh, Green, Mason Green would appear to have pushed and fouled. Ibrahima Konate, then Konate's yeah. penalty, I mean, the way he gave away the penalty was quite soft as well. But then Paul Pogba scored a nice, I mean, it wasn't Paul Pogba, Paul Pogba headed, headed it straight into Harry Maguire, who, who the yeah. ball got deflected off Maguire, then Konate, then went into the ball, and they almost, they almost equalized late, uh, late into the game, late in stoppage time. I think it was a very unlucky deflection of was it uh, Mukiele or Konate? I don't quite remember. But luckily, it hit Peter Gulasi's uh, legs and kind of stood there. Else, it might have been a different story. But do you think? Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty hard. To, it's pretty harsh on Leipzig to say that they had a bad game because they didn't, or they were lucky because uh, they, they were quite clearly the better team on the day. But do you think that the Istanbul game was? decider for Manchester United. Yeah, yeah, of course it was. Yeah, yeah. You look at those points dropped, even if they would have got a point in that. Are we, I'm, I'm assuming that you're referring to the away fixture in which they got beat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, even if they would have got a point in that game, obviously, would have proved de- decisive. But, yeah, just going back, t- touching on your points, going b- back to the actual game itself, I, I mean, if you watch... Leipzig's fair goal. Yeah, Maguire should get criticised because it's terrible defending. The guy should get criticised because as a keeper there, he's doing a bit of a Jordan Pickford when I was looking at one of these, one of the pictures of each sort of, I'm not sure if it was yourself that put it on our WhatsApp group or I seen it on Twitter or something else where it sort of shows behind the goal his positioning from the camera angle behind the goal and it sort of looks like he's leading with his foot as opposed to what you said Riffert and rightfully so spreading his body and he, yeah it sort of reminds me a little bit on how Pickford comes out of his goal to, and he leads with his foot and it's just sort of like w- what are you trying to do there what, what's going through what, what's that, what are you actually thinking is going to happen or can happen by you leading in that manner but 
if you go back to the when the ball breaks on the edge of the box, if anyone rewatches the goal, you'll see what I mean. I look at Pogba and how he reacts to Sabitzer, I think it is, getting the ball and the lack of agency and lack of, and lack of any kind of movement or pressing what he basically when 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 Manchester United lose possession it's just shocking to be honest it is completely epitomizes him as a player for me and they could have prevented that goal right from the very start they could have stopped the cross they could have stopped I'll say so bit again getting the ball to I think it was Angelino that presented the cross to Clive I'm not too sure you might have to correct me there real quick but the whole sort of lack of organisation and the lack of anyone taking command for the ball in any type of area just epitomises Manchester United overall and in specific, and specifically this performance. Yeah, 100%, 100% sure. Uh, and so. just as well, going back to the goals, how's that a penalty? I don't know if that... Did it... I mean, I don't know. Did it go to any kind of check or anything like that, that penalty? Or was it just... Did it go um, to... I'm not sure. I, I guess they had a VAR check because that that, that yeah. usually happens. That normally happens as well with every big decision in the Champions League. But I, I guess they just thought, okay, let's give it a penalty and they gave it. I, I think the referee yeah. was overall quite bad. Yeah, it was, yeah. And it's just, if you look at the camera angle from the byline, so the camera's looking at the players running towards them, you can quite clearly see Mason Green. Will put, it, it's, more of a, it's more of a free kick, like you said. It's more of a free kick to Leipzig because you can see Greenwood put his foot against, Can- I think it was Kanate, and and then he yeah. sort of like positions his body in front of his to fall over, and the penalty and the and the goal it it clearly hits Harry Maguire's hand. Now if that's the other way around and that's a defender in that position, sure surely they would say well it's a penalty because the hand's not in an unnatural position in a. It's not in a natural position. So how can it not be a free kick? Yeah, the same thing happened yesterday in the Liverpool game as well, where yeah. the ball hit uh, Sadio Mane's hand after he headed the ball in. And the, after a long, long VAR check, yeah, it was actually turned down. So yeah, yeah that's that's a pretty legit point that you made there. But yeah, moving on from Manchester United now to one of Dieter's Patreon question. Now we'll look at the Patreon question from Dieter. So we'll go to Barcelona now. Which yeah. is a 3-0 loss to Juventus. Should have topped the group. They could have topped the group. But again, Cristiano Ronaldo scoring two penalties. Weston McKinney scoring that nice acrobatic goal. But Juventus went there. Juventus played to win. And Juventus won the game. I think Barcelona's individual errors are catching up. And, and surprisingly, I don't see Frankie de Jong being that top player which he was supposed to be when Barcelona signed him last season. And the way he's performed this season so far, or probably the latter end of last season, it has kind of been disappointing, Chris. What's your whole take on this? Well, um, Frankie de Jong as an individual or Barcelona as a, just as a, well, I want to describe them as a football club, but are they really? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) What what are these? Do you know what I mean? Other than a complete mess. I mean, Frankie De Jong. Yeah, it's quite clear he's not progressed since he's joining the since he's joined the club. Not at the rate that he was supposed to be, though, because I believe he is a very very good player, one of the finest 
Dutch products that we've seen for a long time, possibly since the 90s. But he made the wrong move going to Barcelona at that time. And only time will tell whether he can recapture the, the sort of form they showed for Ajax. In relation to the Barcelona as a club and what, what I think of them, I mean, where do you want to start? I mean, I told yourself and Michael on our podcast um, back in the summer, they've appointed the wrong man in Ronald Koeman. It's quite clearly nothing about the way he sets up his team that sort of will get the best out of these plays that they've got now. And maybe maybe that was maybe getting a manager in to sort of take Barcelona away from that possession style and try and evolve it a little bit is a good thing. But they haven't got the right man to do that. And it's starting to show because when I watch them now, I just I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what whether he's... Obviously, again, as every team has in Spain and around Europe, they've they've had difficulties with certain players, testing positive, injuries, that sort of thing. But like I said, just them, most clubs have had the same issues. But yeah, they seem to be in free free fall at the moment. And given the latest statement that has come out about the the finance of the club and the actual overall state that. Uh, Bartomeu has left them in. It's not looking. It's not looking like this can be turned round anytime soon, even with a new president. Yeah, certainly, certainly that's the case. And I think we've talked a lot about Barcelona in previous podcasts. There's so much yeah. going wrong at the club, but even now it's come on down to the pitch as well, where the players aren't performing at their best. I mean, I've, I've heard a few people say that uh, criticize Leo Messi because he had seven shots on target. If I'm not wrong. And he did not score a single one. Uh, I mean, the shots weren't so great. But he created eight shot creating opportunities and I think recorded two key passes as well. So, I mean, yeah. you can't you can't always expect Leo Messi to score and save the day. It has been the case for so many years now. And just like Cristiano had probably a couple of years back, I think there's, there's, there's a small decline happening with Leo Messi as well where I think one part of his game has gone down quite quite badly, I'm judging by his standards. Uh, basically, that's the that's the goals. Basically, that's the yeah, goals. Yeah, I mean the thing with Messi and Ronaldo is they're obviously always gonna they're never gonna maintain the level that they were at for so long. The fact that they maintained it for what ten years at the top level with the consistency and maintain that talent at that level is what makes them two of the best, if not the best ever. The thing with Messi, though, is he's not like Ronaldo. In the sense, Ronaldo's played as a centre-forward now for the last five years. Doesn't I know he might drift left and right every now and again, occasionally throughout the game. Messi's not that type of player. He's not the same type of player as Ronaldo. He can't play as a centre-forward. So he has to, he has to be now... So he needs a manager now to come in and put pieces around him to get the best out of him, and it's not it's not it's not happened. It hasn't happened now for eighteen months. I thought Ernesto Valverde, the Messi that he got was very very good and was still the world's best. I mean, but it's been since since then. I'd probably say each season has gone by where it's, he's becoming even more of a one man team. Uh, I watched I watched clips of the Juventus game, um, and every time Barcelona like they were going to do something, it was always through Messi. But I don't see anyone running off him. I don't see anyone coming short for. I don't see anyone with the correct type of movements anymore around him. The man can't do can't do everything on his own because he's not at the level he was eighteen months ago. 
he's still a great player, but they're, yeah. just, they're expecting him to do everything at the moment. From what I see, if Barcelona, yeah. or maybe they're not expecting him to do everything, but they need him to do everything in order for them to get a, a result. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And moving on to the next question from Dieter. Uh, who do you think has performed or overperformed in the Champions League? Who, who do you think has been a surprise package for you? And also the the opposite end. Who do you who do you feel has impressed you the most, and who do you feel has not impressed you the most as well in the Champions League this season? Oh, it's a very good question. Uh, well, the first team that comes to my my mind when you say overperformed or surprised and it's got to be Borussia Mönchengladbach um, they've been fantastic to watch they've played the re- even though they were poor last night against Real Madrid although you could you could equally say Real Madrid that was probably the best performance of the season last night they were, they were really on it was a real top performance from them yeah. um, but up until that game Borussia Mönchengladbach have been have been equally entertaining as what they have been good in terms of actual their actual style of play and the tactics that Marco Rosa has employed um, in the same group into Milan it's just a bit bewildering how they I mean in Serie A they've been scoring goals regularly and but they just haven't been able to score goals in the Champions League they've, every game that I've seen them play they just miss chance after chance um, and how they didn't score past Shakhtar I mean this is a team that Borussia Mönchengladbach put 10 past Shakhtar in, in both games um, and Inter Milan didn't score against them so it's just it just they, they, they be me Borussia Mönchengladbach will be the one for overperforming and surprising and Inter Milan um, to answer the other question is equally disappointing as what Mönchengladbach were exciting yeah I mean I, I also have the same uh Opinion when it comes to the team who's who's disappointed uh, uh, this season Inter Milan, they should have been better. Uh, they got uh, six points out of the group. They finished bottom of the group, which is not something that you'd expected. And there's a lot lot of things going on on, on at Inter Milan as well right now with Antonio Conte. He's bursting like anything. Like I mean, Nima did warn us in a podcast that we did with him uh, a few months back. Didn't he? So, yeah, those things are exactly right. happening at the moment right now at there. But I mean, Mönchengladbach obviously impressed me a lot this season. I mean, in the Champions League this campaign. But I would actually like to pick a surprise another couple of teams as well. Yeah. I mean, although although I expected Atalanta to qualify uh, from the group. I mean, their performances against Liverpool and Ajax yesterday were really, really good. I I caught the highlights of the game, uh, the Atlanta-Ajax game, uh, yeah. the full highlights. Uh, and what I saw from Atlanta was really good football. They kind of nullified Ajax into a good level. They got a good goal. Uh, I think, again, Onana's decision-making is probably culpable there. But Atlanta has been defensively solid. They didn't allow... Liverpool to move at all. They didn't allow Liverpool to create anything uh, in the game at Anfield. Yesterday was quite similar. I think Ajax created, what, one one chance? Or did they have, I think, just one shot on target, if I'm not wrong? Or one chance was it? So, it's 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 been a pretty impressive performance from them. 
in the Champions League. But another team who surprised me, and they have not made it out of the group into the knockouts, but Salzburg, RB Salzburg, has kind of impressed me a lot. I mean, they lost Haaland, they lost uh, uh, Minamino, they lost uh, Wang Hee Chan as well. But that team is really, really amazing. That team is a talent factory. That team has quality yeah. all around. The game they, they played against Bayern, the last uh, match day, was really amazing. I think they were pretty unlucky to not go away with points, all three points. They played well against multiple teams, even against Atletico. They played well. Uh, yesterday in the first half, they were really good as well. They hit the crossbar early on. They were good against yeah. Motive as well. Even Bayern, they dominated Bayern in one of the games. And I think they were pretty unlucky to not qualify. Had they won yesterday, they would have. But yeah. I think they, they are a team who's really impressed me this uh, this Champions League campaign. By the way, they played with the talent or, or with the with the with the talent they have in the team. You know, yeah. As as compared to the quality of the group they were put in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't argue with any any your uh, suggestions. Uh, I mean, Salzburg for me now, what you see is what you get with them. You know, you know they're going to produce good players. You know, they're going to produce entertaining football and they're always going to be a good team because they employ good managers, uh, good up-and-young-coming managers. I think Jesse March has done a fantastic job there. And uh, unfortunately, the old Salzburg will find themselves in a similar position to what Ajax do every couple of years where the team will just get picked apart. The manager, the players. I would like to see them go on and maybe have a go at winning the Europa League, but I'll be surprised if one or two of them actually... See, are still there in January. Uh, another team as well, Riffwit, is I thought Bruges done really well to finish on eight points in that group and they were unlucky not to go through. In the end, I thought they, were, they, made, they made Bruges, Dortmund and Lazio really work to qualify from that group. Well, Lazio even more so, given the fact that it went down to the last game. But I thought they were, they, they were really good, uh, especially in the games against St. Petersburg. Obviously, Atletico Madrid going to the last game and needing to get a result probably surprised me a little bit given the form that they show they are showing in La Liga but I mean it would be probably wrong for them to say well it was a bit of a dis- disappointment because he actually got through in the end and will obviously go through to the next round but yeah I just thought it was really good group stage this year I really did thought all the games were entertaining a- Atalanta sort of just to touch on what you said about Atalanta the only reason I didn't I was I was actually quite surprised that it went to the last game with Atalanta. I thought I thought them and Liverpool would qualify quite easily, even though Ajax are a good team with a good manager and a good way of playing, difficult to beat because of the way they because of the way they press, especially. But I thought Atalanta would have too much, and I'm actually surprised that it actually went to the last game with that in that group. I thought they would actually they would have qualified. A, a little bit more convincingly but they have I have seen a different side to them like you said I agree with you completely with what you said the, the, the style of performance away at Ajax and away at Liverpool when it was like sort of they've slightly I don't want to say they've gone more defensive but in certain game, in certain parts of the game it looked like they were lining up out of possession like in a 4-4-2 and making it difficult and making it Making them difficult to break down, so it was quite it was quite enlightening really to see that sort of change. And I think like like I said on our uh, previous podcast, 
I actually think the drubbing that they got by Liverpool actually has made Gasparini maybe change his methods. Not his methods, but change his ideas slightly to make them a little bit more difficult to beat as opposed to being so sort of gung-ho like they have been. Yeah, that's fair. And moving on to the Europa League teams now, Dieter's asked yeah. about two teams, Arsenal as well as Spurs. So Arsenal has uh, won five out of their five games. And I think currently they're leading their game as well. So if they win the game, it will be six out of six for Arsenal, 100% record in the Europa League. Tottenham, not 100%. They have 10 points now. But they've qualified. Uh, I think they have a better head-to-head against uh, Lask as well. So even if Lask win and Tottenham lose, they'll still go through. So I don't think that's yeah. going to be a problem. But do you think Tottenham are a Europa League contender? Because after the Champions League campaign last night, the teams that have you know stepped down to the Europa League, there are some really amazing teams: Manchester United. Um, yeah, uh, been Shakhtar, Shakhtar aren't pushovers by any means. Salzburg, like we said, they are also really, really amazing. So there are some quite amazing teams who gone down to the Europa League. Ajax as well, don't take Ajax away. And like you said, Bruges has performed really well this season. So they are also in the mix. So do you think it's a realistic target for Spurs to win the Europa League? They're certainly capable of it. Yeah. It'll certainly, um, but it will it'll depend on how far they go with a title push in England. For me, if they're still still heavily involved in the title come February March, then I don't know. I don't think they'll prioritise the tournament. So I think it'll depend on that with Spurs. I really do. Um, but they've got they've got the players to do it. They've got the players to go on and win the tournament. Um, but as the, with with the Europa League, I don't. It's always too early to predict for me because you, again, it's similar to that scenario there that I've just mentioned with Tottenham. You don't know how serious the teams are going to take the competition until even beyond the next round. Sort of until you get to like the quarterfinal stage, it's hard to make that prediction. Yeah. 100% sure. And another question from Dieter is about Arsenal's woes. But we'll park it aside for now because we have an interesting guest who we'll reveal later on coming on for the next episode. And we are going to talk about Arsenal as well in the next episode. So we'll park yeah. that aside for now because this is Europa League and Champions League specific. But the final question from Dieter, we'll move on to the final question now, which is about the incident that happened in the PSG Basaksa here game. Oof. I mean, this is something that's that's really really messed up, and I think there's a little plenty. I mean, there's plenty to talk about it, but we'll probably sum it up as as uh, you know short as possible. What yeah. happened? What happened was completely awful. Completely awful. You just can't do that. I've seen people say that. I mean, it's a referee. How, how How is he supposed to address if he doesn't know the name? Before every single game, the referees, <laughs> even the fourth official, they get provided with a, you know, a report with full information about the staff, the players, and everyone. They have to study that. So that is not at all a legit point. And even if that was a legit point, you just can't 
mention the person that way you can't address the person that way it, it well yeah, yeah i mean the fact that the referee as the re- so i'm way aware of that the, the actual referee has come out and said what is he supposed to call him if he doesn't know his name that that's official is it that response i mean i'm i'm not pretty sure about that but i've heard a lot of people say that that was that was one of the things well if 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 the referee has come out and said that i'd also ban him for saying that because that's even that for me that is just as disgraceful as what has been said because what are you supposed to call him if you don't know his name right well a football player can be i, I don't know you can say that person over there with the red boots on or that person over there with the white boots on or that person over there with the long hair or that person over there with the short hair or that tall person or that small person there's a million things you can say to describe a, a football player whose name you don't know on the pitch at the time you could say that person with the hat on you could say that person over there with the short sleeves on or with the red top on or the blue jacket there's a million things that you can describe a footballer by other than the color of his skin 100% true 100% true yeah. and, and I mean, sorry and as well I, I don't buy this anymore I'm sick what well, I'm sick of hearing oh the from a different generation or in this country he's from a country where you're allowed to say that it, it do, he works for UEFA he works for UEFA you're telling me that man doesn't is not up to date and up to speed with the ways of how the world works and what can be said and other things that have been said within football over the 10 years that make it that have been publicized to the point that you know what you cannot say and and that is it's simple you don't define a player by the color of the skin there's no need to do it it doesn't matter where you're from or, or how old you are you cannot do it and you it's not a lack of education it's pure stupidity now if someone if there's a 90 year old or an 80 year old who lived who lived in the world at a time where something like that might not can be considered racist then they they can you can sort of say you can't say okay it's acceptable because it's still racist but you can sort of try and educate that that type of person because they have grown up in a different world let's be honest it was a different world when say a 90 year old today was 30 or 25 or 20 they're still racist as they say it it's still an act of racism but you can at least say to that person right well let me educate you as to why you ca- you can't say that now because there's there's no need to do it and it's not acceptable but when someone who is what i don't even know how old that uefa official was it, but he, he can't he didn't look any older than me so he, he shouldn't be oh well i'm sorry i didn't know you couldn't say that because you can say that back to my country well what country is he living in he can't be on this planet because surely he must see the daily news and all the fights against racism and he works for uefa who are going out there who sort of in control of football all around the world what does he think is happening at the start of the game when everyone's taking taking going to the knees it's just un- yeah, it's, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. There's no excuse for it. There's absolutely no excuse. And the fact that the referees come out and said, "Well, what else is he supposed to call someone when he doesn't know the name?" Well, I've told you all the all the reasons. There's multiple reasons and multiple explanations as to how to get a person's attention other than defining them by the skin. 
Yeah, and and I'm I I was actually pretty disappointed and angry to be honest. I mean, I I'll have to say I was angry after seeing what happened in the Millwall Derby County game last week in England in the Championship. Yeah, and that was absolutely even more awful. And there were legit, there were actually legit people who were trying to defend that. And I mean, whatever you think, the players are taking the knee. to stand in solidarity with the people to fight against racism the cause is the reason the cause i mean they are standing for the cause i mean yeah yeah just, they are just, yeah just just consider this example because i mean you have uh, you, you you have kids and you have a family say for example yeah. you're sitting at home you watch the players take a knee you are booing the, you're booing them taking a knee and your kids yeah. see you taking your kids see you do that the kids probably think that's the right thing to do because they are just kids they learn yeah. they learn with respect to the environment they learn with respect to their surroundings so what they see oh. from the surroundings they learn the same thing and i think that's one of the main reasons that the why racism is still not going massively down in this world because i mean a lot a lot or a huge part of this world is corrupted in many sense morally corrupt in many sense and i think the right environment needs to be created first and foremost and you have to make sure that each and every thing starts from your home from your family from your loved ones educate your family educate your loved ones educate the people around you i mean that's the that's the first and most basic thing that any human being could do and yeah and i i think that's something that's really really important in this issue yeah of co- of course of course yeah it, it, it's what 150% correct what you're saying uh, and people that not only that we, we touched on a point there that we, we just mentioned there we we, we were saying now say a certain generation of say i don't know 80 year olds or 90 year olds grow up in a completely different world to us where you're allowed to you weren't allowed to it was still disgraceful but unfortunately that the way the world was back then people of that generation think that you're allowed to say it so what we're doing now by taking the knee it's not just a fight against racism now or like you said it's to show your kids it's a fight against racism for in 5 years 10 years 30 years 40 years 50 years down the line because when we get that far then there should be absolutely no re- no racist racism shouldn't exist in 25 years time because that generation now like you said there my kids your your kids that you have in the future the next door neighbors kids should see us what we're doing now so by the time that they get to our age they would have grown up with it that racism you can't you cannot be racist you cannot discriminate against people with different color skin to yourself and that the world is full of different ethnicities. So when they get older, they should they should be second nature not to discriminate against skin tone or skin color. So it's not just about taking a knee to show that you fight you you're against ra- racism. That should be that should be the normal. We're taking a knee to help future generations get rid of it completely so that we're not sort of like okay but it is in acceptable in this country or in this part of the world or this age generation or that generation 
there should be absolutely no excuses for it. And that's what we're doing now. We're fighting to get rid of it for the future. Exactly, mate. And I think uh, th- th- uh, actually, and this is actually a huge, huge topic, to be honest, I think. Yeah, yeah and I, I've said this before, again, when we, we, we've discussed it um, through WhatsApp. I think football does a good job showing that it's against racism, but it doesn't do enough to act on it for me. It really doesn't. They should be throwing the book at Millwall now and the fans and everyone included in that in that situation. They should be throwing the book at this UEFA official for the comments. Whether he said it by mistake, it doesn't matter. He said it. And they need to start acting on things like this. They can't just... Because if they don't, then w- w- why, what, why, what are we actually doing about it from a football thing? Don't get me wrong, the football is... Racism is a lot bigger. It goes beyond football. It's a society issue. Do you know what I mean? We know that. We know that football can't control the world, but it has a big say in how people think around the world. So they they need to be doing more. It's all right showing, getting, making everyone take knees before kickoff and show show publicising anything that you're doing to, to show that you're standing up against it. Well, Football's in a perfect position to show, to fight against it more, I think. And obviously it can't be done overnight, we know that, but they've got to do more. And now this is a perfect example, perfect chance to, to act on it and punish people and clubs yeah, involved I, I, or anything like that. I, I, I think you hit the bullseye there, Chris. I mean, you couldn't be more true there because... You have these big institutions like the Premier League, like UEFA, like uh, the FA, like the EFL. What are these guys take doing? I mean, you can obviously yeah. ask the players to take a knee and show solidarity. But if you break that, if you if you if you know you if you act against that, what example are you setting? And and this is something that I am very critical of, especially. I mean, again, coming back to the Millwall incident, I, I don't want to drag this, but one last point here, yes. again, coming back to the Millwall incident. After that game, for the game against QPR, they completely removed that, uh, removed the whole process or the whole, yeah. uh, you know, uh, whole ceremony of taking the knee. Yeah. They, they just so, so show solidarity. I mean, I mean, I mean, in what world does it hate or hurt to, you know, take a stand, take a knee. I mean, the players yeah. feel so. The players feel so. The players feel that's that's empowering. The players feel that's, you know, that sends a strong message. You can see some uh, some really, uh, I mean, strong players who are standing, who, who are taking that knee with purpose, spreading the message out, spreading the symbol out, standing in solidarity, and they really, really do care for the cause. So, if the players do care, if the players are pretty much 100% sure that this is something that we stand for. This is something that we, uh, you know, tend to fight for. What's what's the problem with fans? And if the fans go against this, why doesn't the authorities who have a whole lot of power on their hands do nothing? They sit back, they release a public statement, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. They just they don't. It, it, it's like the authorities use the players sometimes to show that they're against racism and racists. And it's like it's like the authorities sometimes think, well, if the players 
in the manner that they have been showing it. And like I said, full credit to the PSG players. And um, well, for both teams, really, for, uh, for for joining and uniting and coming off the pitch together and refusing to play on in the manner that they don't. I thought I thought that was fantastic. I really did. And I'm sure most clubs would do the same thing. But the, the authorities need to realise, or the authorities within the game need to realise that the players don't control the game. So there's only so much that they can do. UEFA and the other governing bodies within the game control football. And they need to do more. They need to do a lot more. Uh, they can't just be, like I said, they, they can't just be showing that they're against racism because that should be you should be against it anyway. Do you know what I mean? You shouldn't have to show that. You've got to act when the opportunity arises, and it is unfortunately that these opportunities will arise. They've got to do more. They've got to they've got to take more action, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see what UEFA do now over the next couple of months in in relation to not only the, the way they investigate this but the actual outcome of it because the reputation's on the line with this one and I'm sure that the, the I hope if if they don't investigate it appro- appropriately and there isn't any kind of action taken then I hope uh, the negative reaction is goes to is what it should be yeah exactly yeah so yes, that uh, that brings us to the end of this episode. It has been a really fun episode, Chris. Like every single episode, I I, I would like to say. I mean, I enjoyed this <laughs> podcast a lot. So yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode. And I would like to thank our patrons so much for giving us all your support, for taking your support to the next level. And also to all our listeners who tune in to our show, listen to our podcast and give us feedback. You can reach out to us anytime via social media or via email or via whatever means it's possible. And we'll get back to you. You can send us feedbacks as well. We openly accept feedbacks, even if it is some nice criticism as well. So, yes, that brings us to the end of this episode. Bye-bye. Take care.